my journey over the past 10 or 11 years has been a sort of steady deconstructing of those conventions of traditional theater. I think we both sort of felt like, huh, we did a whole bunch of interesting work there, but boy, those actors weren't great. It initially just came out of a challenge of like, well, uh, you know, like we could do something really cool if those actors would stop messing this thing up. With an, an end result, or at least a place where we are now, which represents quite a large amount of deconstruction to the point of removing the actor from the process in real time. Welcome to Stories from the Top, a production of A2SF. In this episode, we hear from the co-creators of Temping, by Theatre Collective Wolf 359. The show, a theatre for one production that takes people through a unique experience with no actors, puts audience members in the role of a temp, filling in for Sarah Jane Tully, a 53-year-old actuary who is taking her first vacation in years. Director Michael Rao and technical designer Asa Wember talk about their collaboration with playwright Michael Yates Crowley, how the Wolf 359 Collective came to be, and why they believe so strongly in the exploration of everyday technology's impact on our lives. And now, Michael Rao and Asa Wember. It wasn't until I was <laughs> I was teaching at NYU at the time, and I was in the library, and they had these like enormous printers that people could anyone in the like computer lab could kind of um, send a print job to and it would like print out pages and pages and pages. I mean, I was sitting a little bit too close to it and it was just constantly going off and it was bothering me. And I remember thinking like, huh, like I want, I, what if this printer was like talking to you or like, what if, what if this could be uh, a, a character? Um, and I remember taking that idea first to Crowley um, and I was like, I got it. I know what we're going to do. We're going to do a Harold Pinter play with two printers right next to each other. And they'll just both print off different lines of dialogue. And we'll we'll call the project Harold Printer. And Carly was like, this is a terrible idea. You should never do this. But there was something about like thinking about like, oh, what if what if there's a piece of office equipment that we could think about it like a, a channel of communication? That was the sort of like hook into it initially of like, what if we try to tell a story in an office? The temping telephone, spelled F-A-U-X-N, is a prop that the audience member uses themselves as if it was a voicemail system in a corporate office. Uh, so I built a piece of equipment powered with an Arduino inside that remote controls a computer to deliver this telephone. That's the phone. And that, that is an example. That's a prime example of the channels, the technologically assisted channels of narrative storytelling that we worked to develop. Email is an obvious one, right? That's pretty simple. You can write words and send them right in. And the phone allowed us to give another type of voiceover recording. Um, so there is performance in this piece. It's just not live. The phone and the voice recordings give you voiceover from two of the main characters who you interact with during the show. And hearing the human voice gives so much 
sort of analog warmth to this somewhat sterile white email inbox. Asa and I just literally took a giant piece of poster board and made a dumb fake office cubicle um, and like hid behind it on one side and then had audience members on the other side. And we just had the phone, the printer. And then back then we would, we'd cludge together a crazy like Apple script, QLab, like very awkward email, like copy paste situation um, that we were just constantly sweating about. And we're trying to figure out like, okay, how do we time out how long it takes this email to send and arrive and all that kind of stuff. And then that prompted this sort of next wave of like uh, code and technology work uh, that I did on then building this software program that theatrically or that div- delivers emails on time quickly and at the right sort of um, pace and speed to an audience member that we can kind of control like a cue sheet. And the sort of like final aspect of it, you know, because we had the the emails, the phones, and that experience, we realized that there was a final sort of channel of communication, which is the built environment. That's where uh, Sarah Walsh, uh, another Wolf 359 company member, came in and sort of helped us design the space and to think about the space as a storytelling surface as well. If you uh, attend the production, you'll sort of, there are little, not necessarily clues, but just sort of like objects, sticky notes, little pieces that are uh, built into that environment that help you understand whose desk you're occupying and give you that sense of intimacy of like, oh, I'm in somebody else's space um, and it's not mine, and this is a real person, uh, that we've really, we've really kind of like thought about that as another way of, of storytelling. Um, so those are the sort of like four major surfaces or, or channels that we've tried to think of the story in. Um, and when you're doing a play without an actor, uh, those end up becoming like a much more, I think, powerful experience for an audience because you never see these people's faces. You only either hear their voices. You see these little traces of like Sarah Jane's sweater or her shoes that she's left behind in her office. You get an email from somebody else and you kind of, if you scroll down and see like the the BCC stuff that you're on, you kind of get a sense of who they are or their email signature weirdly means a lot to you. Um, uh, and so this is really a play where we we move the audience into the role of the performer in some sense. And the audience sort of asks the question of like, what if, what if I'm this person? Or it does all of the imaginary work to imagine all the other people in the office, to imagine all the other like lives that are in the spreadsheet. And that was the really bigger questions that we got interested in about work and your relationship to work and the ways in which people treat each other within the corporate environment and the amount of time that you have in your life as you're sort of thinking through what you're doing and why you're doing it. Technology is a a tool like, like any other tool. 
it's a, m- a more complicated version of a megaphone that somebody shouts into with their mouth. So I, uh, I as a, a designer and as a technological designer, uh, sort of endeavor to not be held down by technology and not to sort of try and squeeze my ideas through a narrow funnel uh, that the tech offers to me, but rather to work uh, uh, together with the medium to create something that resonates um, uniquely within that medium. Well, as a sound designer, all of the art that I contribute to the process rides on top of this undercurrent of technology. It, it's it's the computers and the gear that sort of allow me to um, uh, to deliver and to present my ideas in, in a, a form that can be uh, experienced by the audience. Uh, it's a it's a somewhat different question on this project, Temping, because all of the storytelling engine takes place over these technological channels of emails and printers and phone calls. Um, so uh, I think uh, uh, Rao talked about this earlier, but we began to develop some of those storytelling avenues before we had a story to tell in the system. I'm used to, as a sound designer, being able to press a button or having a stage manager call a cue and knowing pretty much to the millisecond how it will behave. Uh, and it is predictable. Uh, and sort of it's it's my um, responsibility as a designer to create something that feels spontaneous, but is also repeatable night after night and packageable and deliverable. With a show like Temping, so much of that is out of my control because the audience uh, is free to engage with the, the show, the show's engine at their own speed. Uh, I can send them an email, uh, but the, the next step of the show doesn't happen until they choose to write back and send something back to me. So it's been a sort of offering up of a lot of the things that I take for granted as part of the traditional theater process. And as such, it's a fascinating experience for me to run that show when I'm behind the temping computers I'm engaged in a one-on-one relationship with this audience member who doesn't really know or doesn't know in their conscious mind that I'm on the other side of that. Um, uh, so I find myself having to guess and watch and look at them on the, on the spy camera to see where their hands are moving, to know if they're going to pick up a page from the printer that's been sitting there for two minutes or not, and what to do when that happens. There's a lot of theater companies have a a relationship to technology of like, oh, we're going to do this new thing and it's going to be the fastest, prettiest, like projection surface thing. Or we're going to, you know, have 3D volumetric film VR, you know, like smoosh together as many new things uh, with technology as possible. And we don't do this. Um, we are looking at the technology that people, normal people, real people, people not in Silicon Valley, the, the technology that people use every day in their lives and trying to think about stories that come out of that technology. Because certainly within this whole past year, we've all lived a life that has been mediated by technology and we've still managed to have very intimate, important 
you know, conversations, you know, uh, calling your family through FaceTime, um, talking to, you know, a friend or a loved one that's still in quarantine. Um, we, we still find these moments of really human connection through technology. And, um, we're interested in thinking about using technology, not as like, okay, this is cutting edge stuff, but to say in the way that like, a theater reflects back on a society. Here's the technology that we're using now. And so our work, our, our piece is entirely like done in, you know, <laughs> a version of Windows from 2014, um, you know, Microsoft Excel and Outlook. And we're like insane about all these tiny little details to get that real human, the lived experience as we're living it right now, as opposed to imagining a future. Um, and, you know, increasingly I'm thinking about temping as a companion piece to this piece that we just finished, uh, Block Association, which was all about a Zoom call. Um, and, and so it's not so much about we have this like, okay, we're forward looking in terms of technology. Instead, we're saying, what is the technology that exists now? How are people using it? And what are the ways in which real human emotion comes through that technology? And how do we harness that? How do we show that? How do we put a frame around that? And, and, and through that frame, allow you to kind of look at that as a piece of art, as opposed to just, oh, that's the life that I already live. That's the tree I walk by every single day. Um, so it's a, you know, in its perfect sense, like I think temping, uh, can be, you know, we describe it to people as like, it's the most boring show ever. You just do office work for 45 minutes. Like literally you just do Microsoft Excel work, but in a way, what we're trying to do is get you to a place where you can look at it and critique it and think about it and to find, is there any beauty in this? Is there some life here that I haven't been paying attention to? Um, and and that's the goal that I think we're really trying to get at with this piece. What we're trying to do with every Wolf 359 show, and maybe this is another thing, like in addition to uh, the collaborative process that we go through, but another thing that makes something a Wolf 359 show is to ask a really big question, to ask an important big question um, that has that can manifest itself in whatever form it needs to be you know like previous wolf 359 shows have asked really big questions about how do we take care of each other what is compassion what what does that mean in the face of somebody else's suffering and that took the form of like I, I, there was a drag show in the middle of it there were there was a band at the end uh, the writer and the director were both on stage. We had, we decide, you know, like uh, that. I think our responsibility as an artist is to kind of look at the world and to say, here's the thing that we think we should talk about. If you're going to ask someone to give up some of their most precious thing that they have, like this time on earth to be experiencing art, um, then you as an artist have a responsibility to, uh, to provide some something important or to to give uh, some kind of gift in some way, you know. And temping is uh, it asks a really really big question in the form of some really dumb, you know, system. So it asks really big questions about like 
how much time do you have left on this earth? And what are you doing with that time? And um, what matters to you while you have this precious time on on earth? Like who's who are you working for and what is this labor for and how are you treated in that? You know, these are these really, really big questions that we actually feel like the best way for you to think about that is to to try it, to be in that space, to be in a dumb office cubicle and spend some time with Microsoft Excel, you know, and in doing that, you might find yourself asking or discovering some new thoughts. And, and there are, you know, in addition to the, and hopefully this isn't a spoiler, in addition to like the boring Microsoft Excel work part of it, there are specific theatrical interventions that the show makes for an audience member. Um, you know, moments where we kind of like allow, we lift you out of that space of an office cubicle and into a, a theatrical place where you can think about a different time scale than the time that you're in right then and there. And I think that's another sort of technique that we're trying to do to kind of ask that bigger question. And when we ask this question of our audience members, we give them this sort of safe space in order to have their own relationship with that question because they're alone. They're at a place where they are by themselves with no other human beings acting at their own speed as they choose to. It's a relationship more akin to reading a book by yourself on a park bench than being in a theater with other people. Uh, and that has resulted in some wonderful introspection. Um, it's resulted in that in that question sort of sinking in and becoming personalized. Uh, we've had people uh, in tears at the end of the show. Uh, we had a person quit her office day job the very next day after she saw our performance. We've also had people laugh a whole lot. Like many people think the show is really, really funny. You know, so just so it's not like you have to go to an office cubicle and cry for 45 minutes. It's there's a whole lot of jokes in it as well. Uh, you know, and I yeah, I think like that's if we want to talk about like a, a thing that interests us about Wolf 359 or w one of the reasons why I personally am obsessed with this art form of, of making theater and performances has to do with that. This idea that theater allows you to step just a little bit outside of yourself to imagine yourself in a different circumstance or to to go through the process of oh wow i'm watching romeo and juliet and i know i'm not romeo and i know i'm not juliet but i can understand what that feels like that that sort of like radical act of empathy um it and that chance to go like oh is this what love could be um it is one of the like wonderful things that theater can do for people. And that's, you know, in many ways, maybe Wolf 359 is a very traditional company because that's the kind of thing that we're trying to do. It's just that our society has moved on so much that to really look at the world today, to really kind of like ask those questions means that we have to find, we have to like, put that same level of technology that we're all living with, with like supercomputers in our pockets all the time. We have to put that within our theatrical performance frame and let people experience the world in that sense. Thank you for listening to this production of A2SF. 
we would like to thank our team, including our interns, associate producer Bonnie Bremer, and the sound engineer, Evan Starr. Our marketing and communications manager, Natalie Robbins. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Nadim Azam and mixed and mastered by Elliot Saba. Me, I'm programming and operations manager, James Carter. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us, and share the joy with someone you love. The Ann Arbor Summer Festival, A2SF, is supported by a generous community of individuals, foundations, and local businesses. Please consider donating to the festival at a2sf.org slash donate.